Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. up everyone it is r6 mma talk the fight after the fight with me your boy noah petrie and we had a little bit of a bye week as i said beforehand in the last podcast we had a uh, there was no fights there was no fights to go over plus it was a holiday in america so i thought i deserved to take off but i did miss you guys honestly and truly i did miss you guys love talking about the fights with you guys but I'm not going to go over my past two weeks. I'm just going to jump right into it. We had Stefan Thompson against... Why am I blanking out on his name? I've been blanking out on Kevin Holland's name the whole week. Don't know why. My memory is just like a fog. My memory is terrible in general. But yeah, Stefan Thompson against uh, against Kevin Holland. And we also had one FC on Prime Video 5. God, the name is so bad. But it was Deritter against Malakin. And I'm going to jump right into it, guys. First, I'm going to go over the uh, the UFC fight card. And, dude, that card was stacked. From top to bottom, it was one of the most stacked cards I probably ever saw. Definitely top 20. But, dude, that card was like... At first, I was like, oh, like I, uh, when I initially saw the main event, I'm like, okay, the main event's good. But then I looked through the entire... Um, wait, yeah, then I looked through the entire fight card... Um, then the prelims was like, dude, this freaking whole card is pretty damn stacked, man. It was, it was a really, really, really good card. Hope that everyone was able to catch it, but I'm only going to start off with the, the main events and the main card. And first we have Chris, saw Chris Dawkins against, uh, against Anders. And here's the thing, right? My biggest concern going into this fight was Dawkins. He, I think he fought Delice his last fight. And he got viciously knocked out, knocked out, and he broke the over the bone his right side of his face, and and a couple other bones too in that entire right side from a knee. And my first reaction was, okay, Eric Anders is a really big puncher. He has a lot of power. Would Chris Dawkins's chin hold up? How is his chin gonna look? You know, like will he be able to take the punishment from that injury? Um. And he, that was my biggest concern going into the fight. And granted, I'm happy that it wasn't a re-injury and nothing was broken. But he just didn't have an answer for Anders. He didn't have an answer for Anders. Anders did such a good job just marching him down, dictating the pace, landing some big nasty shots, going to the body very often. Um, Doc has tried to take him down a few times, but Eric Anders stuffed every single takedown. Honestly, I think this is Eric, Eric Anders' best fight of his career. Definitely the best performance of his career. Um, and, dude, Dawkins just didn't have anything for him. He wasn't able to take him down. He wasn't able to get Anders', Anders respect. And dropped him in the first round, put him away in the second. Really not much to go over here. Um, I don't see a clear... I, now looking back on the fight and, and reanalyzing it, I don't really see how Dawkins could have got the victory. Wasn't able to get a takedown, wasn't able to get Anders respect in any of the striking exchanges. 
I just don't see that he had a clear path to victory. Um, I don't see how he could have won. Um, Eric Anders just looked like the better fighter out of the two that night, man. Man, I'm looking forward to see Eric Anders fight again fairly soon. Then we have Hermanson against Delice. And a lot of people forget how good Delice's ground game is. I'm one of those people. Because as of recently, man, he was knocking out people left and right. You know, he was putting away people, finishing them left and right. I think he's on like the four finish rate streak or something along those lines. But um, yeah, I just completely forgot how good he was on the ground. I think he's a, I, 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 he's definitely a black belt. But I think he's, he won some kind of championship from grappling. I don't really remember which one. Um, but yeah, his ground game was definitely deadly. Here's my thing, though. This is what I was a little confused about. Hermanson was getting the better out the striking exchanges. Hermanson was clearly the bigger opponent. While they stood in the middle of the octagon, Hermanson was getting the better of him. And he was doing that by using his range. Hermanson's a big fuck. He has really long legs, really long arms. He was doing a beautiful job just throwing leg kicks, front kicks to the body, jabs to maintain that distance. And he was lighting Delice up. He wasn't lighting him up to the point where he was doing any real significant damage to him, but he was lighting him up. He was clearly getting the better of the exchanges. Now, that being said, Hermanson's specialty is the ground game, his submission game. That's what he's known for. Delete has a very good ground game as well. So I don't understand why Hermanson would go shoot for takedowns when you're clearly winning on the feet. Now, if you get into a grappling exchange, then that's when you can you know, utilize your specialty. But if you're winning on the feet, why risk going to the ground against someone who is, you know, has a really good he has fucking phenomenal credentials on the ground as well. It just didn't point to good fight IQ. And that's exactly what happened, man. Hermanson was winning on the feet for the duration that the fight was on the feet. In the second round, he took Delice down. And Delice first got into a triangle. But while he was getting to a triangle, he let go of the triangle and started grabbing the, I believe it was the left leg, getting his arm around the left leg. Then he got into a calf slicer, which... It's just one of those moves that, honestly, for someone with Hermanson's credentials and his magnitude of, of grappling, it's kind of embarrassing, I'm going to be honest with you. Getting into a calf slicer and not being able to get out of it and just getting fucking TKO the way he did, it's just a little embarrassing for Hermanson. A calf slicer is a move that, if you're a high-level black belt, you shouldn't be getting into. Like, there's, it's just like, and I'm not knocking Delice. Like, dude, the fact that he was able to do that to Hermanson shows how fucking good he is on the ground. It shows, you know, his his grappling acumen. But for someone like Hermanson, who is so established in grappling, it's kind of an embarrassing defeat for him. Especially when you were clearly winning on the feet, why take the fight down there? Um, but yeah, it was all in all fairly good fight. Delete looked very good. I'm excited to see his next fight up. I don't know who would be the next fight for him, but the light heavyweight, I mean, the middleweight division is, uh, there's, there's just some good fires in there, man. A lot of people think that that vision is completely dead because Anasanya really ran through everyone twice over, but there's a lot, a lot of good fighters in there that you can't count out. And now we have tied to a Vosingas Paulvich and... Taituivasa, man, it's, no one expected this fight to go to distance, right? No one expected it to go to distance because typically when you have two heavyweights fighting, that's not the case. One is going to knock the other one out. 
Like it's just how it is. It's just it's just you know when you have dudes that big slugging it out, someone's gonna go sleep. It's just you know how life works, how fighting works in general. So that's exactly what happened, man. Here's how. Here's before I even get into the fight. Here's how I thought the fight would play out, right? I thought Pulvic, who is known for dictating the pace, putting that pressure on his opponents and knocking them out, I thought he was going to go in there, try to do Taito Ivasa. I think he might have, he was probably going to rock Taito Ivasa, maybe had him hurt. But I think Pulvic was going to rush him, be a little sloppy. Ty was going to counter with a big right hand and knock Pulvic out, which that wasn't the case at all. Pulvic really put that pressure on him. And not just putting a pressure on him and just, you know, barraging your opponent. Everything was really calculated. He wasn't throwing any wild, crazy shots. Yeah, he was putting a fucking really big pace where if it didn't work out, it might have cost him the later rounds. But he did so very calculated. He, you know, nothing was sloppy. Nothing was, he was just throwing hooks, throwing bombs. That wasn't the case, man. Everything was extremely calculated. He put Taito Ivasa away with a left jab, actually. It wasn't even a big right hand or a big looping shot. It was a, a, a straight left jab. That put Taito Ivasa on his ass. So, dude, Pelvic has some serious strength, man. If you can knock someone out like that, especially Taito Ivasa like that, you have some serious, serious, serious power that uh, that should not be underestimated at all. A lot of people are calling him the White Naganu, which is fucking hilarious. But, yeah, man, he is uh, he's someone to definitely look out for in this division. I'm excited to see his next fight. We have Barbarina against Dos Anjos. And I didn't really care for this fight. I'm going to be honest with you. It's so hard. And you guys, if you're listening long enough, you know that I don't care. I don't care for old guy fights. Like, I really, I don't give a shit. Like, I just don't. It doesn't excite me. So, Dos Anjos is fighting at welterweight, which is the division that he shouldn't have never fought in in general. He spent half his career at welterweight, and he's way too small for a division, fighting guys who are way too bigger than he is. So, and look. The one thing I can say about Dos Anjos, he is game. He'll fight anyone, anytime. He doesn't give a fuck. Like, when you look at his entire, you know, his entire fight resume, win or lose, he was fighting the best. He wasn't doing any gimme fights. He was fighting everyone the UFC could possibly fucking throw at him. So, nothing but respect for Dos Anjos. He's clearly game-bred. But... He's fighting in a division that he really shouldn't be fighting in. Granted, he's fighting Barbarina, not the most skilled opponent, or doesn't have the best, you know, resume or acrimon at all. But still, I don't want to see Dosanjos fight at 170 when he's just way too small for everyone. But Dosanjos does such a great job utilizing his fight IQ and going straight for grappling. Dosanjos is a good grappler. Dosanjos has been in the game. He fought literally the best of the best that the UFC could fucking throw at him. And Barbarina clearly was a bigger, stronger opponent. So what did Osanyu did? What did Osanyu do? Excuse me. Shot for a takedown. Controlled him on the ground. Barbarina really didn't have anything for him. Um, Dosanyu's almost got a uh, head and arm lock. Barbarina was able to get out of it. But Lance and ground a pound. Again, continued to dictate him on the ground. And just controlled him. Second round did the exact same thing. It worked the first time. So he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it for it the second time. Shot for the takedown. Took him down. Eventually got a rear naked choke and finished the fight. Very, very good performance from Dos Anjos. He called out Conor McGregor after um, this win, which I think makes sense. Conor doesn't want to fight at 155. Dos Anjos is fighting at 170. That fight was supposed to happen years ago and it fell through. 
Um, both men are on the tail end of their career. I say, fuck it, let's do it. And it's a fight that both men could possibly win. You know, Dos Anjos could win that fight and Connor could win that fight. It's a coin flip. So I think that should definitely be the next fight. And that's a good next, you know, because if you beat Dos Anjos, you're not a scrub. You know, no scrubs aren't beating Dos Anjos. Even though he's not in his prime, he's still a very good technical fighter. No scrub is someone who's unranked ain't beating Dos Anjos. Someone who's not off in the top 10 probably ain't beating Dos Anjos. So, you know, if you're able to beat him, it shows that you still fairly got it for the most part. So uh, I think that fight should definitely be next for both men. I think that's a good fight. Then you can market that very, very easily. And I, if I was the UFC, I, I would definitely look into it. And Dos Anjos deserves the payday, man. He's been fighting so many fucking people. Again, man, look at his resume. Go through his resume. See who he's fought. He's fought the best of the best, man. He deserves it. That fight should have happened years ago. He got robbed out of it because he broke his his foot. His foot was a balloon, in the words of Conor McGregor. And I think he definitely deserved the fight. Now we have the main event for the UFC card, Thompson against Holland. And, dude, Thompson's actually Wonderboy. Well, I'm saying Thompson, Wonderboy. He's actually one of my favorite fighters of all time. I love his karate-based style. He's in and out, constantly bouncing. He has some of the best kicks ever in the game. Um, not only that, but striking with his hands is phenomenal as well. He's just an overall delight to watch. Like, if you have a friend who is a casual, who doesn't like grappling or anything, just show them Wonderboy clips, show him fighting. There's no way you can hate his fighting style. His fighting style is so fucking entertaining. Um, and, you know, he was someone who came from from karate combat karate and he i think he won what 60 fights in a row undefeated going into mma and uh god matt brown right because matt brown fought him years ago and i forgot who interviewed matt brown but matt brown famously said that listen i don't know how good those people were that he fought prior to mma you know all those karate combat guys but in order to go out there fight 60 times and not lose there was definitely a bunch of times that Wonderboy was injured, not feeling the fight, wasn't confident, didn't want to do it, but went out there and still put a, a really good performance on and got the W. That speaks to itself, which I 100% agree with. I don't know the acronym of everyone else he fought prior to MMA, but in order to go on 60 wins straight in a row, man, excuse me, that's the combat karate, kickboxing. Excuse me, sorry about that. But in order to do that, man, dude that's that's a lot you know that that that's special and you shouldn't no one should underestimate that whatsoever um but dude here's the thing wonder boy's old he's old he's about to be 40 very very soon which for the walter division is extremely old granted wonder boy hasn't really took hasn't taken that much damage throughout his career especially in mma so yeah, he's more fresher than your average 40 year old but still like you when you get older your timing because the karate based style that in and out style generally doesn't age well because it's center it's solely focused around your athleticism and your speed if your speed is off you're not athletic as you were when you're in your younger days you're not going to succeed using that fighting style you know, someone, a fighting style that progresses with age and as good as like a wrestling base, something that's cautious, grappling base, because the last thing you lose when you get older is your strength. But the first thing you lose is your speed. 
So when you have your entire fighting style based on speed and you get older, it's not, you know, it, it's not the, the, the best circumstance. But, dude, he's still fast as fuck, man. Holland is not a slow fighter whatsoever. And in his corner after, I think, the second to third round, he was like, bro, I'm shocked at how fucking fast that old fuck is. Like, I'm shocked. And, dude, he's still freaking fast, man. Like, if the only people who are going to beat Wonder Boy are people who are going to grapple him and take him to the ground. Even even then, his takedown defense is still fairly good. His takedown defense throughout his entire career was fucking phenomenal. It was in the high 90 percentile. Up until recently, the only person who was really able to take him down was Gilbert Burns. And that happened a year ago. You know, when, when Wonder Boy is 38, 39 years old. You know, prime Wonder Boy was getting taken down. Um, but, yeah, the only people who are going to beat Wonder Boy is someone who is, has a substantial wrestling background. Besides that, if you're going to strike a Wonder Boy, you're not going to win. Straight up. If you're solely striking a Wonder Boy, you're not winning. Period. You're just not going to, you're not going to outstrike him. You're not going to outpoint fight him. And that's exactly what Kevin Holland tried to do. And that's where he fucked up. So in the first round, Kevin Holland did pretty good. I think he, I thought he won the round. He rocked Wonder Boy. Hurt him fairly bad. Not to the point where he's going to put him away, but clearly hurt him. Clearly rocked him. And what Kevin Holland did well was he was dictating the pace. You can't let Wonder Boy dictate the pace. Because if you let Wonder Boy dictate the pace, he's going to go slow and steady, stay in the middle of the octagon, that in and out style, utilize the kicks to maintain range. He does that side kick to the body as like his jab. That's the way he maintains his range. You can't beat him that you can't beat him there. No one in the UFC is going to be able to beat him doing that. You're not going to outpoint fight Wonder Boy. That's his bread and butter. It's his specialty. He's one of the best to do it. That fighting style in all of MMA ever. You know, you're not gonna out. You're not gonna beat him in that fashion. If you're going to beat Wonder Boy, you have to put the pressure on him. You have to have his back against the cage, and that's what Kevin Holland was doing at the beginning of the fight, and even for the duration of the fight, the times where he had Wonder Boy against the cage and stopped Wonder Boy's movements. That's when Kevin Holland was landing the good offense. But when Kevin Holland was standing in the middle of the octagon trying to point fight Wonder Boy, he was getting fucked up. And when he let Wonder Boy dictate the pace and have his back against the fence, Kevin Holland's back against the fence, he was getting fucked up. He was getting lit up. Lit up like a fucking Christmas tree. He was getting messed up. And that's where I think Kevin Holland fucked up in. Granted, he did injure his right hand somewhere midway through the fight. I can't remember exactly which round. He actually broke two marsupials in his right hand, so he has to go into surgery. That's the reason why he wasn't using it. But uh, maybe if the right hand wasn't injured, that would have played. things would have played out a little bit differently. But, dude, you can't outpoint fight Wonder Boy. It's not possible. You have to dictate the pace. You have to grapple. You have to clinch. you got to have his back against the fence. you got to make it dirty. Granted, that's a lot easier said than done, but you can't outpoint fight Wonder Boy. And Kevin Holland learned the hard way. But what I do want to say is I commend Kevin Holland in there in his corner because he was losing three out of the five rounds. That fourth round, he got the fucking ever-loving shit beat out of him. You can argue was possibly a 10-8. His hand is injured. Clearly, his hand is injured. And his corner was just like, look. Your hand is all fucked up. It's clearly injured. Something's wrong with it. You're getting fucked up. You would have to go in there and get a finish. He's right hand dominant. So it's not like he could swing his power hand. You have to go in there and get a finish. 
which is unlikely. Wonderboy's fresh. He's fucking you up. He just won three out of the four rounds. They looked at everything that happened. He was like, you know what? We're throwing in the towel. We're going to live to fight another day, which most MMA coaches wouldn't have done because there's a whole issue of MMA coaches and realizing that their fighters really have no chance of victory and still put them out there to, to fight. You know, Calvin Cater and Max Holloway is a good example of this. So I love that Kevin Holland in his corner realized it, assessed the situation, and was just like, you know what? Fuck this, man. Like, we're not going to, there's no reason why he's going to go out there for another, for a fifth round and get fucked up for no reason. You know, he can't give his best performance because of the injury, so we're just going to pull out. And I 100% agree with it. Kevin Holland ended up having a broken hand, so all in all, it was a great fucking call. So I commend Kevin Holland and his team for doing that. There's no shame in giving it your all for four, for three, four rounds, and you're completely down on the scorecards. You're getting fucked up, bro. They, they clearly won. You live to fight another day. You regroup. You strategize. See what you did wrong and come back and fight again. And I know that's exactly what Kevin Holland is going to do, and I think that his team definitely made the right call. Now I want to jump into one championship on Prime Video 6 and 5, excuse me. And this one was pretty entertaining, man. I would say my favorite 1FC on Prime Video was, uh, of course, Demetrius Johnson against, I'm blanking now on the kid's name, blanking out on his name so bad with names, but Brazilian kid, I'm blanking out on his name. We all know who he is um, for the flyweight title. But this one was DeRitter against Malakin for the light heavyweight title. DeRitter was a former two-time champion, middleweight and light heavyweight. Malakin is the interim heavyweight champion. Honestly, I forgot the their heavyweight champion's name. He's Indian, the first Indian MMA champion ever. He doesn't want to fight MMA no more. He literally said after his title win at one championship what happened like two years ago that he wants to go fight in AEW WWE. He doesn't want to do MMA anymore. Granted, he has a contract still, so you can't just walk away from your contract. I don't agree with that. I think he should fight out his contract and he wants to go elsewhere, go elsewhere. But I don't know if he'll ever fight MMA again. Like, I really don't know. So he's been out for two years. You're holding up the division. There's not really a division for heavyweights in one, one FC anyway. So, like, I guess that's why to keep them around. But, dude. If I was if I was one FC, I'm like, yo, get this fucking Indian dude out of here. Give me the Malakin, put him as champion, or have him fight someone for the belt or whatever. But there's no reason to have that guy still around and have him champion when you know he doesn't want to fight. It doesn't make any sense. So still keep him under contract because you know he's still part of the contract. He has to abide by the contract. Can't just turn change your mind. You sign a dotted line, you got to do what you got to do. So I do think that they should still pursue him and have him fight in 1FC, but strip him. Strip him, give it to Malakin, and when Indian dude comes back, fight Malakin, you know? So Malakin is, it's a Malakin, Malakin, excuse me, pronouncing fucking names wrong all over the place. But Twitter, two-chain champion, Malakin, Malakin, excuse me, <laughs> Malakin, is the interim light heavyweight champion. He moved down in weight to fight DeRitter for the light heavyweight belt. And DeRitter is one of those people that a lot of people were uh, were in the community were discussing 
how good is he? Like, how can he compare against the best middleweights in the world in the UFC? Is he of that caliber? Can he beat someone like a Pereira or Anasanya or Robert Whittaker, etc.? And a lot of people thought he was of that caliber. Maybe he still is of that caliber. But one thing is for certain. One, he's too small for light heavyweight, I would say. I would say he's a fairly big welterweight. I mean, he's a fairly big middleweight. Light heavyweight, he's decently sized. But Malikin is someone who fights at heavyweight, who is fucking massive. He's a big, broad dude. And he came down to light heavyweight, which I'm shocked he was able to make the weight in general. But he came down to light heavyweight to fight for the belt. And it was a clear size difference. A clear, clear, clear size difference. You can see that one man was fighting one division and one man was fighting for another division. And the Ritter had nothing for Malikin. Malikin just marched him down, put the pace on him. And he was just landing him, just landing big, nasty shots on Ritter, man. Going to the body, going to the head, mixing it up. And every time he threw something, it was with power and authority. And Ritter didn't have anything for him. He couldn't take him down. He tried foot sweeps. He tried taking, shooting for takedowns. Wasn't able to take Malikin down. Malikin stopped all the takedowns. Again, continued to put that pace on him. Ritter couldn't land any offense of his own to keep Malikin off him or gain his respect. And, dude. One thing you can say about the Ritter, he's tough as fuck, man. His chin held up. Like, he was getting hit with some bombs. I was watching it, and I'm like, yo, how the fuck is he still standing? And even the commentary team was like that. They're like, bro, how the fuck is the Ritter still standing? How can he keep going? There's no freaking way. He was getting hit with bombs to the body, to the face, and he just still kept going, man. But eventually, eventually, those shots are going to they're, they're gonna catch up with you. They're going to catch up with you. And that's exactly what happened. They caught up with him, he got put out, and Malikin is now the lightweight champion of 1FC. I don't know who's going to beat him in that division. I don't think anyone's going to beat him in that division. I don't know who's going to beat him at heavyweight. He's going to be champion for a very, very long time, in my opinion. That's what I think. Now I want to get into MMA news slash drama. There's a lot of news and drama to go over this week, guys. And first we have former UFC fighter Aaron Brink, father of the Colorado Club Q shooter speaks. So Aaron Brink was a former MMA fighter who fought in the UFC actually in the early early to mid two thousands. His son is a Club Q shooter. Club Q is a uh, was a gay bar um, or a gay club in Colorado, and the guy, the shooter, was just super homophobic, and just went in there and started shooting. Man, a couple people died from it. Unfortunately, the hateful, hateful, hateful crime. And people ask, you know, the father, hey, what do you think of this, you know, that your son did this? And the father was like, at first, I thought he was in there. And I'm like, wait, no way my son's gay. No way my son's gay. Then when I saw that he was the one doing the shooting, I was relieved. That's what he said. That's word for word, basically what he said. And listen, man, I can't say I'm surprised. I can't say that someone within the MMA community have done this. And it's not to be exaggerative of, oh, you know, not everyone in the MMA community is, you know, super right wing or racist or homophobic. But a lot of the community is like that, man. A lot of your favorite fighters are ultra right wing. And I don't understand it. It's just the culture of MMA. I'm not like that at all, man. I would say I'm classically liberal. Like, I love I love capitalism, but I want free health care and free education. And I want our infrastructure done. And I don't think most of our money should go into the military. I think it should actually go back into America and, you know, fixing up the roads and everything else. So that's what I think. That's me personally and where I lean politically. 
classically liberal. Not liberal like nowadays with freaking 90 genders and that kind of stuff. That's not my thing. I don't judge anyone who's like that. That's fine. You can do that if you like, but I'm not going to. That's not me, so I'm not going to do that. And I'm not ultra right wing, you know, to the point where I'm like, fuck abortion, fuck homosexuality. I'm not like that either. That's not me at all. So, you know, for for normal people like myself, it's kind of hard to find a political party in America when you have two extremes. And MMA is just the extreme on the right hand side. Like all of your favorite fighters are super right leaning. I don't know why that's the culture, but that's kind of just a culture, man. You know, uh, it's sad that I'm not shocked that. You know, someone in the MMA community, someone related to MMA community, have done something like this. And it's disgusting and it's vile and it should not be celebrated. And um, this is a shame, man. It's a goddamn shame. Now I want to get into Glover explains why he didn't take the short notice fight against Ankalaev. So as you may know, Yuri Plahoshka was the former light heavyweight champion of the UFC. He injured his shoulder very, very bad to the point where he's going to be out for a year, a little over a year. 100% respect for Yuri because Yuri was just like, yo, I don't want to hold up the vision because I'm not going to be fighting. So I'm going to give my belt up and when I come back, I'll fight for it again. Nothing but respect for him. 100% agree with this. So the fight was offered Glover to fight Uncle Liev for the belt, which will be next weekend. And it was such a short notice fight that, you know, Glover's like, no, nah, I'm not doing it, man. Like, it's, it's too short notice. I need a full fight camp. Fight camps are brutal. Uncle Ives is a very good fighter. I, I can't do this right now. And here's the thing, right? I I understand his point of view. I think for most fighters' case, that wouldn't have been a bad choice. But I think Glover should have took it. I think Glover fucked up and he should have took it. One, he doesn't necessarily deserve the title shot in general. He's only getting that title shot against Yuri Plahatsha because the fight was extremely, extremely, extremely entertaining. You can argue that it's the best light heavyweight fight of all time. It's definitely from the top 10. I would say it's within my top 5. You can argue that it's the best light heavyweight fight of all time. That's the only reason why he's getting that second fight. Literally the only reason why he's getting that second fight. On top of that, he's old. He's 42, 43 years old. So you got to weigh your options. You're old. You were gifted this title shot. You don't really deserve it. Why would you turn it down? It just didn't really make any sense to me. And when you look at stylistically, stylistically, Glover is a really good matchup for Uncle Live. Uncle Live is more so a grappler or wrestler. Glover has really, really good jiu-jitsu and really good grappling and wrestling as well. So probably grappling and wrestling isn't the best thing to do with Glover. Not only that, but Glover has really good boxing, really good hands too. Before he was, you know, the submission machine, he was known for his striking. He was knocking motherfuckers out left and right. Um, and I would say his striking is better than Uncle Ayev. So even though it was a short-notice fight, I think stylistically he matches up very well with Uncle Ayev. So with his age and him not really deserving the title shot coming into place, I think he should have took it. I think he fucked up not taking it. I'm going to be honest with you. I understand not taking short notice fights. If I was a fighter, I wouldn't want to do it either. But when you weigh out all your options, I think he kind of messed up there. Then we have Ali Abulaziz. His A couple of his fighters flew out to Teshnia and celebrated Kadyrov's son's birthday by shooting RPGs and guns and that kind of stuff. Gaethje was there. Suhuda was there. Usman is there. 
And this is disgusting. This is exactly what I was talking about beforehand. This is disgusting. Kadyrov is a dictator, a really, really bad dictator. All dictators are bad. There's no such thing as a good dictator. It's an oxymoron. But Kadyrov is an evil dude. That's just who he is. And the fact that you flew out to Chechnya, you're not a Chechnyan. It's not like Shemaev, who's a Chechnyan citizen, who Kadyrov can threaten his family's lives. That's different. That's different. But you have no relation to Kadyrov. Why are you... Why are you hanging out with a dictator's son? Like, why is your manager friends with a dictatorship? Like, I, like it's just weird, man. It's just weird. And it's something that you only see in combat sports or particular MMA space. Like, that's weird. It shouldn't have been allowed. It's a bad look, man. It's only making you look bad. Even if you're not, you know, not in cahoots and you're just doing it to please your manager, whatever the case may be. You're still, you're making yourself look bad, man. It's just a bad fucking look. It's disgusting, man. I don't care how much he paid you. you this, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, Kyla Harrison suffers her first loss in MMA. Um, I forgot the, the the lady that she fought, but she fought her three times. Third time was a charm. Um, I'm, I'm blanking out the woman's name. I know she's Brazilian. Know that for a fact. But she was able to use proper fight IQ, gain all the knowledge she did on Kyla Harrison for the last two fights that they had, and pull off an upsetting victory. Um, to my knowledge, that don't watch PFL was very, very close. But all in all, most people agree that... I forgot the lady who fought Kyla Harrison, but most people agree that she rightfully won. And the, for me, it is the thing is... I never cared for Kyla Harrison because she wasn't Kayla Harrison because she wasn't fighting anyone noteworthy. Like, she was fighting people who she was clearly better than. The only people she fought that was noteworthy is the lady who she just lost to. Everyone else was like, you know, like, who the fuck is this person, you know? You're fighting a, a random person in a division that should even exist, women's 155. So you're not going to find women that big fighting MMA. Like, it's extremely hard. So it just didn't make sense for her to be in that, for that division to even exist. And, you know, for her to be fighting the level of caliber of fighters that she was fighting. So that's why I never really cared for Kayla Harrison. But Kayla Harrison, for someone who is so dominant in any sport, especially in combat sports and MMA, for them to take their first loss, they either handle it terribly or they handle it fairly well. And Kayla was the one who handled it fairly well. He was just like, it is what it is. There's no excuses. I lost. There's the reason why I lost. Here can I improve. So I'm proud of her that uh, even though I'm really not a fan of her, um, she handled the loss very, very well. Especially being that she dominated her division in the sport for so long. So I, I, I tip my half off to Carly Harrison. And then we have Conor McGregor response to Anthony Smith criticism. Um, Anthony Smith saying that it's not fair to Conor McGregor. Basically got carte blanche to use performance enhancing drugs um while he was injured with the uh, the whole f the leg breakage and how that's not the case for everyone else here's the thing right usada people asked usada what like to comment on this like what's you know why was connor not tested for a year you know why was he able to get an exemption and they kind of gave like a runaround bullshit answer they were like you know for certain fighters, for, I mean, for certain instances, there could be an exemption 
for a fighter not being tested or wherever the case may be. Something along those lines, right? But didn't give a clear-cut answer what would cause the exemption. Here's my thing, right? I agree with Anthony Smith. Why is Connor getting carb launched to use performance-enhancing drugs when everyone else isn't? Now, I don't knock Connor for using performance-enhancing drugs during the foot breakage and the healing process of it because that's such a peculiar, scary breakage. You can actually lose your leg due to it. If it doesn't heal right and if the bones doesn't fuse, it can get affected and you would have to get you have to get the whole leg amputated. So performance enhancing drugs, in particular steroids, have been shown to be good with these kind of breakages because it helps the healing process and it makes it faster. So I'm okay with Connor using performance enhancing drugs with because the leg break. I think it should be standard. I think he should be able to use it because of the leg breakage. It's for he can heal his leg so it's not fucking get amputated and infected and be able to fight again. Now, I should think that he will have to sit out for a year after all the drugs are out of the system, but people are going to be like, oh, this is an unfair advantage. Really? Having freaking metal plates in your leg and not being able to throw a proper leg kick anymore is an advantage because you use steroids over someone who doesn't have that injury? I think it kind of balances itself out. So I'm not mad that Connor used performance enhancing drugs. I actually agree with it. I think he should have in this case. And he said it too. Like, listen, I used it. The only people who understand is Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman. The only two people who understand because the only two people who have that kind of breakage in MMA. So I, uh, I, I, I have no issue with Connor using it. But I do agree with Anthony Smith. More so a criticism to USADA, you have to explain what's the exemption of someone being allowed to use performance-enhancing drugs. You can't just say that and not explain it. You have to explain to us what would cause an exemption. Clearly, this is the case of an exemption, which I'm okay with, but explain it. You can't just say there's exemption to not explain the exemptions. That doesn't make any sense. You have to explain it. And now we have, going to my notes here, we have Aljo confirms Suhudo is the next opponent for March. I don't know what to think of this. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I don't know if Suhudo will ever come back. The contract wasn't signed. Until the contract was signed, I will care. But until then, I'm not going to comment on it. And last but not least, the Ontario Athletic Commission has banned MMA betting in the province of Ontario. And the reason for this is because of James Krause's investigation into a possible fixed fight. Again, possible. No one knows. But they're looking and investigating into the issue. And basically, they were like, listen, some shadiness is possibly involved. We're going to ban sports betting because of that. And I think Ontario jumped the gun a little bit. Because the investigation hasn't been done yet. You know, it hasn't been finished. If once the investigation is finished and it will show that sports you know, there was some foul play and, you know, the fight was rigged, then you can ban MMA sports betting 100%. I agree with the decision. No pushback at all. But I do think they jumped the gun a little bit early. Just because things are under investigation doesn't mean it actually happened. So until there's a verdict, I think they should have just allowed sports betting. If it's a guilty verdict and James Krause is, a, is definitely guilty of, you know, fixing the fight, then you can ban it. If he's proven not guilty then you can just leave it how it is. But again, like you should wait until the verdict is out to see if it actually happened or not. 
than just jumping the gun and flat flat out banning it. But I can't say I blame him, man. I can't say I blame him. I haven't really been seeing any updates for the the investigation, but I'm definitely looking forward to when they announce that the investigation is concluded and what was the result from it. But ain't looking good for James Krause, man. He's banned from UFC events, from cornering UFC fighters, um, from any anyone in their fight camp cornering fighters. Um, this is not good for him, man. This is not looking good for him. Then we have the Petri predictions portion of this podcast. And first up, we have Blockowitz against Ankalaev. Oh, Blockowitz doesn't really deserve this title fight either, but I guess he's there. I don't see Blockowitz winning this one. I think Blockowitz is going to lose. Just for the fact that I do think he has far better striking than Ankalaev. But Blockowitz doesn't have the best takedown defense. And Ankalaev's takedown offense is so fucking good. His control is so good. His submission offense is so good. His takedown offense is so good. Like he's, I think, I think it will be a five-round fight. I think it will be a fairly boring fight. I see Uncle Live taking it by decision. And honestly, I don't know who could beat Uncle Live at light heavyweight right now. I don't really know. Maybe Prohaska, possibly. Proha- I mean, but Glover is able to take Prohaska down and keep him down for a decent amount of time. So I don't even know, man. I don't, I don't know who's going to be Uncle Live. So if I had to bet, I'll bet Uncle Live. I'm actually thinking about betting, you know, four or five grand on Uncle Live. That's how that's how sure I am that he's gonna win. Um, it, it will take Blockowitz landing a lucky punch to be Uncle Live. Besides that, I don't see anyone beating him in that division. Then we have Jared Gordon against Patty Pimlet. This is an interesting fight because Jared Gordon, his last loss was against Charles Oliveira, TKO in 2019. That was his last loss. Since then, he's won, mostly by decision, but he's won. He's gotten a few KO victories and finishes of himself. But I don't know if he can go the full distance with Patty. I'm not sold on Patty either. That's the thing. I'm really not sold on Patty. We really haven't seen his his ground game and, and wrestling tested against someone who's an elite wrestler, even though there's not really that many elite wrestlers at 145. But... We haven't really seen the upper echelons of what Patty Pimley could do. But even so, I'm giving it to Patty. I think Patty is going to pull off the upset victory. He'll probably do it by submission, rear naked choke. If Patty can't get Jared to the ground, then it's going to be a rough night for Patty. But I think Patty will be able to, to do so. So if you're going to put money, put money on Patty. I don't know how much you want to put, though. Then we had Darren Toga's duplices. And, bro, I just think Darren Till's done. I think Darren Till's done, man. I I think he would... I think... I don't know, man. I think he should probably leave for a different organization. Go to Bellator. Go to One. Go to Ryzen. Fight different levels of competition. I think, it's a, I think a lot of Darren Till's problems is probably a confidence issue more than a competency issue. I think he just he just doesn't have the confidence he did back when he was an up and coming star, you know, knocking everyone out, finishing everyone. He still has that power. He's still a fairly good fighter, really good striker. But I just think, I mean, he got exploited for his ground game, which he has been working on. But 
I don't know, man. I think he's done. I just think he's done. Or he has to fight just lower levels of competition to get that confidence back. But I don't know. I, I just don't see him winning this fight. Honestly, I wouldn't bet money on Till. I really wouldn't. Then we have Mitchell against Deporia. Bryce Mitchell against Deporia. And I don't even know who's going to win this one. Both men are, what, undefeated in the UFC? I think Bryce Mitchell have one loss, but I don't think it happened in the UFC. I don't know, man. This is a hard one. I really don't know this one. Like, I, I'm trying to figure out who can possibly win it, but it's a, it's a complete coin flip for me. I haven't checked the odds, but I know if you check the odds, probably fairly close, and it's like that for a reason. So I wouldn't bet money on this one. It's too up in the air for me, but this is probably one of the fights I'm excited for the most on this card. Both fighters are very, very good. Bro, the featherweight division, man. I don't know about Valk moving up to 155. I want to see Valk stay at 145. There's a lot of up-and-coming fighters that I think he should be fighting. Like Honor Allen, Taporia, Bryce Mitchell, those kind of guys. I would love to see Valk fight. But there goes episode 31 of R6 MMA Talk to Fight After the Fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. You can find this podcast on all major podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, I mean Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Har Radio, and you know guys already this podcast drops on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. sharp. So it's a pleasure talking to you guys. Enjoy the fights. I'll talk to you next week.